Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. Paige, how are you doing? I'm doing well, minus my little head cold. A little bit. Sound a little raspier than normal. (laughs) (laughs) Christy Alley. There you go. Do you remember, 94, we were talking about 90s Yeah, it takes two. So I got a confession I'm going to make to all of our listeners. Um, Christy Alley and Mariah Carey. Those are your top? From 94 was kind of my awakening <laughs> to it. Uh, I don't know why I was so attracted to them mm-hmm. at a very young age. I didn't understand the feelings mm-hmm. that I was occurring, but Christy Alley and Mariah Carey to me were foundational in my awakening as a man. My 94 was probably Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah. Right. So a little younger than like Christy Alley, but you know, <laughs> I don't know why Christy Alley just, just ticked my box, but <laughs> You know, it was, it was, it was different structure, different folks. (laughs) It kind of feels quaint to reminisce with all the news going on this week to Mm -hmm. what I feel like was a simpler time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Election week. All right. So we have a few topics to talk through today. The first one was a LinkedIn post from a gentleman by the name of John Burns. He is in the housing industry. Um, He's one of the experts and influencers and you know, Paige, as we both know, we're both homeowners, we're growing families. We're kind of always in the housing market somehow. Mm-hmm. Interesting story. Only 7% of fix and flippers are now selling homes for higher prices than three months ago. Right? So it means 93% of homes being sold are being sold less than they were three months ago. Do you think we'll ever be able to afford another house? I don't know. As you know, I've been trying to, we're in this great debate of my family saying, are we going to move or not? But now I think my ashes are going to be spread in my backyard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the reality. How can you leave a house that you're paying 3% mortgage of to go get a mortgage for 7%? Yeah. And it's going to be smaller square footage and. You can't afford as much. Mm -mm. Well, and the other thing is Wells Fargo's earnings last, last month or not last week came out. Mortgage originations are down 82% from the same quarter. So Q3 last year, 83% drop in business. And so I think this chart from John Burns, uh, and shout out to John Burns, if you're interested in following more, you can look him up on LinkedIn, really tells a story that market pricing for at least residential hasn't really caught up with interest rates yet. And we probably have a lot longer to fall. So it'll be interesting for a lot of people as, you know, they bought at the peak. What do you do when your house goes underwater or you have an adjustable rate mortgage? Right. I mean, we knew the bubble had to pop at some point. I think it's popping a little bit quicker than everyone thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel, I know one of my good guy friends just flipped a house and he, it's still in the market and there's, there's a bottom line he has to meet or his last, you know, two years of his life were pretty non-profitable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about flipping, you know, and people, our listeners may or may not know. I mean, I, I started my career in a hedge fund that 
traded mortgage-backed securities leading into the Great Recession. And, you know, a big part of my job as an assistant to the traders was calling on the debt holders that we owned their mortgages for and the number of people that were flipping, you know, was pretty crazy and they didn't really understand the risks. And, you know, I, I'd like to pretend that, you know, we like to learn lessons as a society, but I don't think we ever do. When the market's going up, everyone feels like King Midas until the tide goes out. Right. <laughs> and so continuing a little bit on residential, but I also think it kind of ties into commercial real estate. If it, Paige, you're familiar with Redfin, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're that online site, tracks the value of your home, very similar to Zillow. But the one interesting part of their business is they have a brokerage arm. And essentially, they've kind of set it up uh, like CarMax and Carvana, where it's like a flat price. Okay. And you get people that are paid on salary and bonus, so they're more service-oriented, not just looking at the commission. And you obviously support us and our team of brokers that all work on 100% commission, Mm -hmm. right? And you've Mm -hmm. gotten to see what that looks like. Good days and bad. Good days (laughs) and bad, right? And, you know, what's interesting was... I literally read an article in Wall Street Journal maybe a year ago that talked about Redfin and talked about how with the strength of the market and sellers having a lot of power in that relationship, how some people were kind of calling for the end of 100% commission real estate brokerage, whether that was residential, commercial, I think to some extent was insulated from that. But at some point, inevitably those trends kind of follow us. But right now, because of that fixed pricing and just the nature of it, it's kind of failing their model in the business. And it's kind of interesting to see that their stock is down. My gosh. You know, so they're, they're at a dollar 30. Let me find out what they were, but they were, they're probably 80% down. Yeah, that's tough. It was interesting because there was a lot of people calling for legislation to change commission. Um, especially for residential. And, you know, it's just something that as a broker, you know, you, you kind of in some ways fear because, you know, part of your, you know, the amount of risk we take taking on projects and listings now commercial, you know, Paige, you, you know, I mean, a lot of times we take on million dollar risk, mm-hmm. you know, and work on things for years mm-hmm. with no guaranteed payout. Right. And, you know, it's part of the risk return we sign up for and that's right. the incentive and that attracts certain type of talent. Um, but it really shows that when transaction volumes down, you have all these people on payroll under this model of a fixed price, how difficult it is to pivot that business, right? Where the rest of us here, if next year turns out to be tough, I mean, that's what we sign up for. Right. Right. We know that there's no paycheck guarantee tomorrow. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting business plan for sure. Yeah. The longevity of it is definitely up in question as we speak, but. Wow. So yeah, they're down 91% their stock price in the year. 91. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's like. <laughs> I would not want to be sitting in one of those board <laughs> meetings. They're sitting at $3 and 43 cents a share target price. Analysts on the street say it's a dollar 30 a share. Yeah. You know, I mean, if they still have another 66%, they can drop from their current price. So that's, yeah, that's interesting to see. You know, the other news that came out, some of Collier's competitors are announcing layoffs and slowdowns in commercial. 
um, which is really interesting to say just because of this capital markets region. That brings me kind of to our next article. This is from Green Street. And for our listeners that are not familiar with Green Street, Green Street is one of the, we'll call it one of the bigger players in commercial real estate data. And so property prices year-to-date are down for commercial properties 13%, which is not surprising given that the cost of debt has gone up 50% relatively in the same period. Um, And I think it's interesting to see you know, how much a 50% change in interest rates is completely re-upending how people are approaching valuation right now. And this is a huge challenge, I think. You know, we're seeing we're seeing it in the office market, you know, for future valuations on refinance. But also, you know, in a lot of cases, no, there's no buyers in the market because everyone knows the cost of debt's going up and what does that mean? And there's these economic headwinds. And so, you know, we're seeing things probably getting rockier before they get more clear. Mm-hmm. And just like with home prices, taking time to rediscover the new market, commercial property takes even longer sometimes because right. there's just not the volume of trades right. to sit there and point to going, hey, there's 20 homes next to yours that sold for X. For us, a lot of times we're dealing with one of ones or one of fours. Right. Yeah, I think it also depends on where you are. So I was talking to my mom who is in residential real estate down in Florida. And I said, "Has how is the market down there with everything? And in Florida, there's a lot more disposable income where people aren't really taking loans out as much. Maybe they're buying cash for their second homes. Um, she said it's slowing down, but not as dramatically as somewhere in Indianapolis or downtown Indianapolis mm. for commercial. So that's just an interesting way. So, you know, you got to look at it from all perspectives. Do you think, I mean, is her, a lot of her business, is she seeing a lot of people, we'll call it, you know, late fifties, early sixties that are now kind of going like, I was going to retire here. I can work hybridly. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pull the trigger now. Yeah. And ironically, a lot of her clients are from the Midwest. Yeah. No, I mean, I she spent that. her whole life here, so that makes sense. But now she's been doing this residential thing down in Florida for about five years. And it, now she's seeing a lot of those quote unquote snowbirds who want to either make Florida their permanent home or people who have money to have multiple homes. Yeah. What do you, does she see them selling their residence back in Michigan or Indiana and really moving or are they setting up a second residence and kind of dipping their toe in the pool? I think they dip spin? their toe in initially, but then after two or three years, they're like, okay, why are we going to do this back and forth? Yeah, they give up on it. They give up on the cold Midwest home and <laughs> settle in full time. It is an interesting trend how we move south as we get older. I know, I know Scott's already like, when are we moving to Florida? I'm like, and, and the interesting thing is, is there's there's interesting geographic correlations I've picked up. So, you know, Northeast Ohio generally people move to the Atlantic side. So like my parents' mm-hmm. neighborhood, everyone that has a home down there is in like Boca, Lauderdale, Palm Beach, Miami. And then a lot of people from Indianapolis are on the golf side, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. There is like that weird line somewhere up in these states that splits east side or west side of Florida. Yeah. You're either in the east coaster or west coaster and it's not... You're either an East Coaster or West Coaster of like the United States. Right. It's like somewhere in the Midwest. It teeters. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. 
Florida is a fascinating place. It is. It's very <laughs> fast. I, I went to the movies there once on a rainy day. It was packed. Really? Like I went maybe 10 minutes before the movie started and I had to sit in the front row because it was so sold out. You're like right there, like, like neck crane yeah, to like, go see oh, the movie. And I've done it twice now and both times. When it rains in Florida, everyone goes to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a kid, my grandparents had a place. They they bought a bunch of real estate in Miami in the 60s. And then um, my grandfather on my dad's side sold it. I think like he sold it at, like the wrong time. Like he was like half of his ideas were huge and mm -hmm. they were awesome. And the other half were like dog, dog shit, terrible timing. Right. And that was one of them. And I remember, so then they bought a place in Naples. And I remember we went down there as a kid one time, like they let us use the place. And I remember just being so bored out of my mind. You know, this is like Naples in the late nineties. It was just all gold Buicks and Cadillacs, mm -hmm. early bird special. Yep. Like it was so boring. Like I remember like going to their pool and like all the old people were like pissed. There was kids in the pool, like just making noise, yeah. you know, splashing. And I was like, God, dad, I don't want to come here again. Yeah. Like, it sucks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then I discovered Miami in my uh, college years and I really quickly got it. See, there's the East coast in you coming yeah, out. It is. I know. Um, I like the I like that side of Florida. Yeah, see, I like the other side. The other side's too quiet. No, it's too quiet. It's Newsville, too. I like it. It's too conservative. Sarasota has the best beach in the country. Number one beach <sighs> it's in not America. Miami beach. It's not sexy. Well, Miami you know. can still be sexy. That's true. <laughs> so it's pivoting a little bit. Some good news for cities this week. Allstate, which is a Chicago-based company, Northbrook, Illinois, they had recently sold their huge suburban campus over a million square feet to an industrial developer out of Chicago to turn it into industrial, right? It's this big, huge campus out in Northbrook. You can see it from the freeway going industrial. And the next question was, well, well what's Allstate going to do? Right. Allstate's a Chicago-based company. So right now, this is on Connect CRE, a news source for uh, corporate real or commercial real estate is they are strongly in talks with the city of Chicago to move back into Chicago proper, mm. which is a good news for the city of Chicago, who's lost Citadel Capital, mm -hmm. who's lost um, Caterpillar, and a few other companies to Texas that, you know, maybe, you know, there's, there's, there's some hope there. Great move back. Yeah. Back to city of Chicago. Paige, you live there. I was just there last week. Mm-hmm. I th I think Chicago, even as the second city, still, uh, it's still Chicago. It's still Chicago. There's always going to be a soft spot in my heart for Chicago. Yeah. It's a great city. Yeah. Now the next one, kind of pivoting here, close to home. For those of you who are not familiar with downtown Indianapolis, the biggest trend of the last five years was hotel deals. Twenty of them were cut with the city and developers for downtown alone, 20 that's, hotel projects in downtown Indianapolis. That's a lot. I, I'm pretty sure it doubled the n number of rooms, which is crazy. Yeah. So IBJ, Mickey Shuey, shout out Mickey. Hopefully we'll have him on as a guest soon. Um, put out a great article talking about the pipeline. So just really quickly, hospitality in general is still struggling. 
um, part of that staffing. But the mm-hmm. other piece of that is business travel is recovering, but convention travel, which Indianapolis is a second tier convention city, as we know, relies upon. So out of 20 projects, um, two have been canceled. One, two, three, four, five are on hold. And the rest of them are quote unquote in the works. Right. And so as we think about that, it's a pretty low batting average. And the one thing that helped the office market in Indianapolis was all these B and C office buildings, which these hotels were Mm -hmm. getting converted over and basically being taken off the market. Right. right? So it kind of kept vacancy buoyant. And, you know, our teams transacted two of these older buildings in the last year, um, one at Ohio Street and one in Washington Street, which are slated for conversions, not to hospitality, but something else. And it helped buoy the office market because it's taking off space, right? The question that we're really working through is, you know, these entities bought bought it at record high numbers, right? COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And then, oh yeah, now interest rates are going crazy and inflation went crazy. Right. What happens with these ghost buildings? Yeah. That largely, and I know there's other cities in uh, Cincinnati has a good number of these. Cleveland has a good number of these. Columbus, not so much. Detroit had a, a number of these that these buildings are stuck in limbo. And the question becomes what happens when they need to be worked out? Yeah. I mean, because renovation costs are up. Mm-hmm. Interest rates are up. Right. And rents can only go up so fast. Right. So, you know, and, and some of these could be converted to multi, but financing is getting more difficult. And the prospects of raising rents much more, I think are, you know, in a way, so from a, for our audience, I mean, part of multifamily is based on the spread between the equivalent cost of ownership and the market rent, right? So what is people's alternative to renting? It's buying a home. Right. So as interest rates go up and the average price of homes for right now is staying pretty stable, therefore there's still a pretty big gap. So as a landlord, you can kind of raise your rent up to ish that point. People will still say, Hey, it's more efficient economically for me to rent than, than buy. What happens when home prices come back down again is even as interest rates go up, part of the question is what is the mortgage equivalent for the right. average home? And so if prices continue to go down in residential, which we were talking about earlier, it can have an impact on multifamily. Right. Extent. Right. I mean, thinking about boutique hotels in downtown Indianapolis, there's two. Yeah. I mean, there's really two true boutique hotels right, right now. And if you were coming for a conference, I mean, you can stay all over, but like the big ones that I'm thinking would be like the JW, mm-hmm. the Conrad. Right. But, you know, there's been a big trend in these boutique hotels. Looking at the list here, majority of those that have been completed are under 200 units. Yeah. No, I mean, I think boutique, well, it well, goes back is. to, you know, that what we were talking about, that people are looking for more than just a room to walk into to lay their head down. They want the experience of it. So bottle works is yeah. the experience. You can go eat at the food, the garage hall. I don't want to get it by the wrong name, the garage hall and then go bowling. And then right. you can walk around downtown and it's more about the experience than just like, here's your key. Here's your standard room where your bed is and your shower is. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's the one theme that we keep uncovering is that how do you draw people back whether it's a downtown or within a city center and it's really experiential. Yeah. Right. People aren't going to come down just because they have to. Right. They don't have to anymore. Right. I mean, we went out for lunch today, downtown. It's Wednesday at noon. Mm-hmm. 
There's not a ton of people walking around on a beautiful 62 degree day in November. Yeah. Well, and that's the biggest problem for businesses downtown. How do you support lunch? How do you support right. services? I just, I, I'm curious. So the one thing I was thinking about was with your experience at Nordstrom and probably you know, cause you worked in the men's department mm-hmm. for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you, know, you think about how men dress now, I don't know what the distance in time was, but I have to think like dry cleaners in general. Yeah. Dry cleaners alone. Yeah. Cause how I many mean, people wear a press collared shirt every single day now? Not many, I'm sure. And so during the peak of COVID, we had to switch like our buyers, Every they like basically canceled all of the on orders to just start ordering all athleisure. Mm-hmm. We needed as many sweatpants, as many sweatshirts, as many cozy clothes as possible to ride out this next two years. But then I think from that, the shift back to true work casual in an office, what does that mean? I mean, we have people in our office who wear shorts that <laughs> won't be named, but won't you know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, Guilty. <laughs> so Not it's me. like, you know. I think as a culture, everyone's just shifting. So again, it's about the experience in the workplace that's going to drive people back to the office, not just I have a desk and I like my colleagues, but what's the experience that I'm going to have being in the office? Yeah. I just think about my tie collection. Yeah. I mean, you and I are both people who like nice things and (laughs) the amount of nice things that I have that are collecting dust is really sad. Yeah. I was at Cornette conference for corporate real estate last week in Chicago I don't think I saw maybe two or three people in ties. Yeah, That's I know. That's it. That's it. It's crazy. You know, like our grandparents would be rolling over. Yeah. What do you mean you wear shorts to the office? Yeah. What, what do you mean you're taking conference calls on a computer in your sweatpants? That's exactly right. And I'm just curious, you know, what that trend is. And I, I'm curious too, you know, part of it is like, we look at building badge reader data and all this, but I'd almost be curious to look at sales mix from retailers to see what people are buying. Right. We were joking the other day about Sephora having this run on lipstick right? because people are going back to the office and they're not sitting in front of a zoom anymore. And so, you know, primarily women. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a great point. Like I have saved so much on my makeup like mm-hmm. i don't have to buy as much because i'm not putting a, a quote-unquote full face of makeup on every day right so it's just it's just interesting i yeah. don't know i wonder if ties will ever come back i mean my husband would love if they never came back he like i had to beg him to wear a tie at our wedding yeah but there's something about it yeah i mean it's like it completes it you're yeah. ready to go there's something about wearing a good power tie we were joking that because i worked in the men's department in chicago and you and Kevin were just up there and I was like, oh, I could have sized Andrew up in two seconds and sold the shit out of him if he walked into Nordstrom. Oh yeah. I mean, I was the easiest guy's customer. I was telling him things about the JM Weston loafers I was buying. He didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, huh? Uh, so you're going to buy these $200 shoes or what? No, they were a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm not saying he was saying yeah. that to you. He was yeah. like, oh wow, this guy is like, he, he, he knows, knows the stuff. Getting, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to step back slowly now. <laughs> I'll tell you what I want. <laughs> so what else, what else page are you tracking these days? As far as articles go, anything, anything else out there that our, our listeners should be aware of? 
I don't have anything to bring to the table right now, okay. but I will come prepared uh-huh. <laughs> next okay. week because I'm that. trying to wrap us up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, thank you everyone for listening today for the Urban Foundry Short, right? Our weekly roundup on news, 20 minute, easy to digest on your commute on the way to or from work or to and from your desk at home. There you go. However you work today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our executive producer and audio wizard, Chris Spangle at leadersandlegends.net. Also, thank you to my co-host and producer, Paige O'Neill. And finally, thank you to Colliers International for providing us space to use as our recording studio in downtown Indianapolis. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.